Welcome to the Pinch Hitters. When it came time to, to play against the big boys, they just didn't have the, the firepower to sort of really compete. So I think, yeah, I think they're probably in that yeah, 9 to 14 area. Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I must confess, I'm really prepared too much for this, but um, I'd say a hot to fly, but not as high. Your weekly dose of sporting news and views, hard and fast. Welcome to the Pinch Hitters podcast. I think it's fair to say that cricket never sleeps. And despite despite Dan and I taking a, a little hiatus, cricket didn't. And after reporting morosely about Australia's runabouts during the Australian summer, they've gone off and won two limited over series in India. Um, a couple of outstanding performances adding to the summer and autumn of firsts after Australia lost to India at home for the first time in history in a test series. We've gone and won an ODI series after being down 2-0 for the first time ever. It was an extraordinary it was an extraordinary five-match series following the, the T20 series. A number of heroes. I'll be joined shortly by Dan from the Sportress to go through it all in a little bit more detail. Um, probably share with him a little bit more my my love of Glenn Maxwell after his century in the T20 series. It's it's almost non-stop cricket action from here till the World Cup. We're 10 weeks out, but somehow Australia's playing another series in Pakistan, a five-match one-day series before they start playing uh, warm-up matches for the World Cup in England, leading into the Ashes, almost then leading immediately back into... <laughs> The Australian summer again, it's it's extraordinary. But we are going to go through the the hits and misses of this series. Please take the time to join us online. Our website, www.pinchitasoz.com.au, chock full of football previews and cricket reviews and the like. Um, you can also join the conversation online at Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at Pinch It As Oz at both. Let's get into this tour of India. Join me on the other side of this. Dan from the Sportress. The Pinch Hitters knee-jerk reaction. Joining me for knee-jerk reaction is Dan from the Sportress. Dan, how are you? I'm good, Buzz. Great to be here. How is it we, we take a, a little break after talking down Australia's chances of winning the World Cup, and then they go and win two short, short over series in a row away from home. In India, of all places, I know. I think we should just spend the next uh, couple of podcasts completely talking them down, and maybe it'll be a good jinx. I don't think we have it in ourselves to, to talk <laughs> Australia down for too long. It doesn't really take too many too many performances to sort of um, pep up the pep up the um, the That's right, boy the spirits. Yeah. So, which which brings us into knee-jerk reaction, and and with Australia winning their first ever series after being two 0 down, it's the f- fifth time in a in one day international series that decides come back from two 0 down to to win a, a one day series. Is it fair to say that's the greatest ever Australian one day international performance ever? So, I, I really I really love this question because I started going through. World Cup performances, right? And I think it's fair to say that for sheer drama, the 99 World Cup is probably above this. I think for sheer dominance, the 03 and 07 World Cups are probably above this um, in terms of like just the sheer dominance of an Australian performance. I then did what? Well, all right, let's step outside the four World Cup victories and think, what's, what's, the, what's the best non-World Cup sort of series performance. And I sort of went back through um, the old Benson and Hedges tri-series, trying to look for a time where Australia beat the Windies in their prime, and I couldn't find it, to be honest. There was a couple of times where... Um, close? The, well, it was, it went, 
one of the things that you forget about this is it's kind of like India. Australia played the Windies in one day as in the 80s every, either, like two and three years, basically. Years that they didn't play the Windies, um, people were clearly very upset. Um, and we did win the Tri-Series a few times in that period, but a bit of a squeeze suggested we, not necessarily um, uh, that we didn't deserve it, but we never beat the Windies in the final of that up until I think 95, 96 and by that stage you're getting to the tail end of the Windies and in fact we didn't even beat the Windies in the final that year, that was Sri Lanka now that I think about it um, that was yeah. the year that uh, Sri Lanka uh, and Ramesh Kalawitharana and Sanastri Saria turned the game on its head So, look. I think the first time that we, we won a series the tri-series um, in Australia that the West Indies were involved in they didn't make the finals. Yeah, so yeah. They'd, they'd and fallen off the cliff. They fell off the quick, cliff pretty quickly. Yeah, and that happened dramatically quickly. Basically, that, that last test series that we beat them in, the West Indies, was the last hurrah, when you think about it. Um, and so I couldn't find a more notable series victory outside of that. I think you could point to things like, uh, you know, the Michael Bevan game or James Faulkner's uh, dramatic game against England as being pretty uh, noteworthy moments. Um, but I don't think you can necessarily uh, pick a series in which that happened. And look, I was uh, listening to Adam Collins today compare Ashton Turner's innings in the fourth game of the series, third or fourth game of the series, in which he scored 80-odd or 40-off to, to drag Australia to victory. Uh, he compared it to the Bevan innings. And so he was like, you know, if this had happened in the middle of Australia's summer in Australia that people could see, people would still be talking about it. And so, look, I don't really have an argument against it. Yeah, I think there's I think there's no question that if if Ashton Turner did it in Australia, even today it would be a much more revered innings. Doubly so if he had have done it twenty years ago when when the, when Australian the Australian cricket summer seemed to matter so much more than it sort of does today. Well and particularly when those ODIs were the focal point of the summer a lot of the time. Yeah, and so I think yeah, when the when there was less matches, there was a sort of a tendency to remember remember these things more, and I think now they're sort of lost in the wash. It would be it would be easy to get caught up in the emotion of the whole moment and sort of say, look, you know, it is the greatest series win. But the problem that we have, of course, is as Australians, we have been very spoilt with our Australian cricket side, especially even in the one-day series. One-day format of the game, five World Cups, two undefeated wins. Um, yeah. It's it's probably a little bit hard to sort of trump that, but um, coming back from 2-0 down, possibly, um, you know, having gone over there without um, any real expectation, um, probably a sense of dread about what would happen, especially after the first two games, um, to then come back from there was a was a real nod to the the, the group and what um, what they're starting to do, but um, it was um, you definitely wouldn't have thought that was going to happen before the series, and you definitely didn't think Australia was going to fire any sort of shots after they after they lost the first two games. I completely agree. Let's get lost in the emotion again. Australia can win the World Cup. Alright, <laughs> I feel like I don't want to be the guy telling everyone to, to slow down a bit. I think there's you're gonna, still... You're going you're gonna to love the next question then. I, 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 think, I think there's still a clear hierarchy in this. I think England and India are still the teams to beat. England in England. Uh, I mean, they put what they put on us last year, or was it the year before that? 480? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember. Like, the, the, it never apparently happened. The, apparently, you know, the greatest ever winning margin in one day touch cricket history, anything like that. No. No, I don't remember. Um, so I think there's there's unequivocally a tier that exists there. And then, up until now, there'd been a tier in my eyes that it had included South Africa, Pakistan, New Zealand, and maybe the Windies. Um, because the Windies can really do this if they so choose as well. Um, they can be a bit mercurial, mercurial like that. Um, I had actually put us on the tier below and was like, Maybe, you know, um, one-day cricket's just not our thing at the moment. We need to go through what England went through at the 2015 World Cup where they had such an outdated version of one-day cricket uh, that they weren't able to adjust in time for the World Cup. 
They lost the World Cup and basically came out of the World Cup free of the baggage of the old old way of, of winning and able to pursue what they pursue now. Um, and I thought that might be the path. Perhaps the way we played over summer in short form and the way we've played over the last 18 months is potentially going to have the same effect. And maybe that's what's occurred over these last three games. Um, but maybe not maybe in a week's time or two weeks time we'll be talking about the disaster in the uae against pakistan so don't want to get too carried away it's it's definitely better and you definitely move australia up from definitely not losing to probably definitely not winning to probably not winning um but there's a long way to go before we're talking about them winning the world cup so we're, we're not putting down certainties okay i would suggest that it, it does prove it does prove that Australia can win it. Whether I, mean, I think it's I think it's without question that they're not the best one day side in the world at the moment. I think that's been proven over the last sort of twelve to eighteen months that it's not they're not the best side in the competition. But I think they showed that they can beat the best side in the competition. So um, in the sort of tournament where where it, it can come down to one day. Um, they have a puncher's chance. On the flip side, I would go um, totally negative as well. Is the way that the tournament's set up with one um, one lot of round robin games and and then four semi finals are decided. There's also there's also a possibility that Australia doesn't even make make it out of the group stage. So I think they could possibly miss the semi finals, and flip side could actually win the tournament as well. I, I completely agree. Uh, it, uh, the the way the tournament tournament stage that really does make those that that consistency um, So yeah, I totally agree. Because of the results in India, there's no room in the Aussie World Cup team for David Warner and Steve Smith. This is a proper hot take. And this is a weird thing that's going on in Australian media right now, I think, anyway, that they're pretending that David Warner and Steve Smith aren't two of the probably ten best batsmen in the world. Um, Steve Smith, in particular, should be a walk-up for whatever form of cricket he wants to play for Australia. Dave Warner's a bit older. You can convince me that maybe you want to look to the future or something, but he is definitely in Australia's best... um, uh, 11 in my mind um, there is plenty of space in this and particularly when it, again as I said in two weeks time we might be talking about how none of the batsmen could get it done in the UAE and we're in trouble again um, so there will be space those guys will be playing in the Australian side in game one of the World Cup yeah I think it's um, I can't remember who it was that um, did say this in the press during the, the week but um, it's it didn't just come from the imagination of the pinch hitters here. It was it was actually in the in the media there. I think it is, um, I think it's a a long bow to to draw. I think definitely like I, I agree with you. I think Steve Smith's a a walk up start to the side. I think um, if we are realistic, the same could be said about David Warner. Uh, I think anybody else that's on it, and though they've sort of like. The players did sort of produce some good performances in India and potentially may even do so in Pakistan. I don't think anyone that gets pushed out of that side um, would sit there and go, they definitely deserve to be in the side ahead of those two blokes. Um, obviously, some people will have some leftover residue, residual sort of um, anger about what happened in in South Africa 12 months ago. But I think when 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 all was considered that the, the ICC decided that they're their um, crime was worth one game. The fact they've been suspended for 12 months um, by Australia sort of suggests that they've well and truly um, done the punishment, served the time for their crime, and um, should be, you know, picked on form to play for Australia. And I think that's what will happen. I think um, unless, barring barring some kind of incredible run of outs um, by either in the warm-up games in in England, I think you'll be, yeah, there'd be long odds that neither of them are playing in the in the World Cup. Yeah, agreed. Pat Cummins is the best cricketer in the world. I am. Um, I love Pat Cummins. 
<laughs> he's such. What was uh, really great about this series, and I think showed how much he just in, he just continues to improve, which is sort of incredible to say. But he went from being a guy that we we always chuck um, at first change. He was given the the new rock, and he absolutely prospered. Um, you know, he had the most wickets in the in the series at yeah, sort of. Yeah, four, I think 14 wickets at not many a, a chop sort of thing. He had a fifer um, in that to win us a game. He he always looked threatening. He was moving the ball uh, when others weren't. Um, he's an incredible bowler, and we should all be really blessed with that. As to whether he's the best cricketer in the world, that's a hard one because it becomes what do you value? Um, do you value Virat Kohli, who scored a bucket load of runs against us and against everyone else over the last... 18 months. Do you value what uh, Jasip Bumra has been doing, Muhammad Abbas, uh, Kigisa Rabada? Um, there's a litany of bowlers who are also doing it well. Now, Pat Cummins is number one in the ICC rankings in Test cricket, um, and I think seven or eight in, in uh, one-day cricket. Um, but best cricketer in the world... I think you'd have to squint at it with a particularly uh, Australian... rampant parochialism, Dan. <laughs> rampant well, parochialism. As I was about to say, you have to give it a good... Uh, uh, you don't need to whack on a pair of the Australian gold glasses, I think, um, uh, to, to get there. No, that's not to say he won't be, because the talent level and the way he improves, I don't think it's beyond him um, within the next three or four years to be the best bowler in the world as well as... Uh, with a couple of test centuries to his name, the as as well as he bowled in in the one day series against India, the the performance that sticks out in my mind over the last few months was his efforts on day one at the MCG when pretty much nobody was getting any kind of um, life out of the pitch. There, um, he consistently made the Indian batsmen look uncomfortable. And probably with a bit of luck, if he had have had a bit of luck, he may well have actually um, done some real damage on that day in a, in a match that's well and truly remembered for Australia being um, just played out of it on a lifeless deck. Um, he he is an incredible player. Um, like you said, he's, he he can bat. He if if he if he wasn't such a good bowler, he would probably be a, a top order batsman. Um, and he's, he's fielding that some of those efforts that you see from him in the field are, are, are just unbelievable um, he is possibly not the greatest cricketer in the world right now but um, for the for the sake of the argument I'm saying he is <laughs> fair enough <laughs> looking forward to the Ashes can we say that no matter how many runs and at whatever position he scores them Matthew Wade has zero chance of making the Ashes squad. No, I don't think so. And so I have a sort of a view on this. I feel like before Christmas, people were too excited about Matthew Wade's form. Um, he's uh, obviously a quality player and has been for some time. He's represented Australia. He's scored test centuries. And he's 32, 33, maybe, somewhere in that space. Um, he is at the top of his game. So, of course, he might have some time where he, he hits a purple patch and does well in shield and domestic cricket. Um, he has continued that form post-Christmas. So I think rather than it being a bit of a purple patch, you have to start suspecting, all right, he's done this now for a full season. We have to actually consider that this is perhaps an actual um, uh, a new scenario rather than just the fulfilment of his uh, of a previous scenario um, I think they will look at him um, I don't know what his plans are pre-Ashes but I think he'll play A cricket, Australia A tour of England if not heading over to play county cricket and I think he'll find himself as potentially the backup keeper in the squad or as a standalone bat which I think he can do You know, he can be a standalone bat and God, he can chuck down a few dirty overs of 130k's an hour, so um, it's not worse. Not the worst guy to be coming in at six. But isn't isn't that the whole point though? Is is that the the press and the Australian public have been talking about him as a, a as a potential batsman, given the fact that he was the leading run scorer 
in the Sheffield Shield before Christmas, um, leading or top three run scorer in the Big Bash, one of the leading run scorers in the JLT Cup, that when the Australian team wasn't performing and they needed a batsman to come into the side, that they actually looked to the bloke that was actually scoring runs. And the answers were, well, we actually have a keeper batsman. It's like, well, why don't you, keep him? Why don't you pick him as a batsman? Oh, he's, he's batting too low down the order because batting six for Tasmania is too low in the batting order. It, it just seems to be that, and we've talked about this often, is that the Australian selectors always seem to have an answer to the to why they don't pick somebody. And I think we've got a little bit of an insight into that. And I don't say that suggesting that they're consistent in having these answers. They, they're consistent in having answers, but they're not consistent in their answers. Um, we've got a bit of an insight into that when Mark Wall responded to some criticism about Matt Wade not being in the side and sort of suggested, well, hang on, don't you remember he played in the side you know, 12 or 18 months ago on average 22? Forgetting, A, that he actually was a keeper batsman then, and we're, we're talking about batting him just purely as a batsman, and two, the same logic didn't seem to preclude Sean Marsh keeping on getting selected whenever he failed. Mm. Oh, look, I think, as we've said before, trying, trying to apply logic uh, or a plan to this approach is, is, is a fool's errand. I think, though... Um, I hope, sorry, I think is probably strong for this. I hope, though, that there's a recognition that he's put together 12 months of work and that if he continues his form in whatever that he cricket he gets to play through um, May, uh, albeit county or A cricket, um, then he has to be considered as a bat. Even if it's as a, a backup bat. I mean, there's no pretending that we have a settled test lineup. Uh, no one is particularly. Like, I understand we scored some runs against Sri Lanka, uh, but I don't think anyone should feel particularly comfortable in that lineup. So to have him in your back pocket as someone in really good form who, can, who's, who's, who knows his game, he's older, he knows his game, he knows what he'll do in England or how to play in England, um, I like to think that they'll, they'll bring him along, um, even if it's just as a reserve bat. But I... I... What I do like the what I do like about the imagery of him being selected as a as standalone batsman would be that if we wound the clock back, you know, fifteen, sixteen months, you had Matthew Wade, the keeper for Tasmania, and the Australian keeper playing in the same side as, as Tim Payne, who was just playing purely as a batsman for Tasmania. And then through the fact that the Australian selectors didn't actually care that Tim Payne wasn't the keeper for West uh, for Tasmania, picked him to to be the keeper for Australia and then we would actually then also then have the situation where Matthew Wade would actually come into the side as a batsman. It's just some sort of synergy there of, of the fact that just finally just ignoring what actually happens at, at <laughs> lower level. We always say there is no plan. So let's have a look at the series itself. Let's talk about the hits and misses from Australia. Australia didn't just win a one-day series. We won a T20 series too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. It's just been victory after victory, basically. Damn. <laughs> There's so many we can't even count them anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's just too many. Are you correct. Um, what was your hit of Australia's tour of India? Oh, look, I, I think you you can't go past. Oh, and the obvious one is uh, Usman Khawaja um, picking up uh, two centuries, two critical centuries. Um, uh, in the back three games, as well as a, a, another 90 and another 50. Uh, his performance across those five games was was uh, superb. He was the best batsman, I think, in that series, and that includes Virat Kohli, who scored uh, 300 runs across five innings as well. Um, I think his innings in the last game, on a wicket that turned out to be much more difficult than I thought it was, um, was a really classy innings. And I'm just really happy that he's back scoring runs. I know he had a bit of a lean summer and that there was extenuating circumstances for that. Um, his injury and his, his, uh, his family. family circumstances. But, yeah. yeah, that's... Um, I, so I'm really happy he's back scoring runs. I'm really happy he's scoring runs as an opener in one-day cricket. I think that's his spot. I think that's always been his spot in one-day cricket. Yeah, top um, three. Top three. Yeah, 
Well, I wouldn't even play him at three. I think he goes out, he opens, um, is is his his best position, uh, and um, I have some hot takes about who his partner should be. Um, well, don't don't hold but back. Yeah, I'll save that for a little bit. Okay. Sure, Marsh. <laughs> it is not Sean or Mitch Marsh, which okay. I'm sure will devastate the selectors. Sorry, sorry for interrupting your, your stream there. No, look, you know he he was unbelievable, and I think um, sometimes uh, the fact that he actually did struggle for for runs uh, for so long in the Australian summer, when we actually we re- well even on on this podcast we spoke glowingly about how he he was likely to be the, the player of the summer and, and it just didn't quite work out that way. For him to then come back um, in the form of the game that he has been long sort of forgotten about, um, just for some reason the Australian selectors just seem to just forget that he actually does prosper against the white ball too, to then also in conditions that the Australian selectors have long sort of considered him unsuitable for, to sort of mm. prosper um, on all three of those fronts made it all the more sweeter, I would have thought. And um, it also possibly made it a lot harder for the selectors to sort of just bring in the two suspended players um, back into the back into the side come, come game one of the World Cup. It will possibly come as no surprise as to what my, my hit is. Number one ticket holder of the Glen Maxwell fan club, I thought... Glenn Maxwell's tour of India was was something special. Um, the century in the the T twenty in the T twenty series was 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 just unbelievable. It was breathtaking. Um, a couple of knocks through the one day series. He didn't quite have the the same level of success, but he sort of kick started Australia's innings a, a few times there to sort of just give them runs um, when they needed them. He he looked uh, he looked at home in the side. Uh, he hasn't always. Um, he looked like he was a, 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 a an integral member, and he looked like he, he knew he was and played accordingly. Um, it was definitely a fantastic, fantastic series, and, and that was uh, my hit. I think Maxi is an integral part of this one day team. I think he is he is that fulcrum that you can build a side around because he can play both games for you. He can play a big innings, as in like bat for a long time. And he can go out and score like he did in, I think it was game three, 47 off 29 balls or whatever. You know? He can just bat at any spot in your basically between three and six. He shouldn't be batting at seven. There are no circumstances in which you should give more balls to other batsmen. He should be batting as high as we can handle. Um, to be honest, I'd play him at four or five. Um, and I think he should definitely uh, be around come... World Cup, and I think he is one of the ways we can win the World Cup. I think I said that on this podcast that if he bats at four, we'll win the World Cup. I um, getting back into my love letter to him. Um, I didn't mention his fielding and and just the the options he gives with the ball too. He is like he's he's a package, and um, and he he produced some valuable overs. Um, for Australia in the one-day series, and yeah, and his fieldings. He's the best fielder in the world. That that arm of his is just ridiculous. Um, it it is hard to believe that the that that it's been so difficult to sort of find um, a place for him in the side. It's and you and I talked about this years ago. In that the thing with Glenn Maxwell is is that you just have to accept you can't you can't accept him scoring runs with outlandish shots and then get upset that he gets out to outlandish shots. If you're playing your every shot in the book and scoring runs, you're going to get out to them too. And I think that sort of seems to be the problem with him is that because he gets out in ways that um, seem un- in, you know, unconventional, that, that sort of gets marked against him. And I think the Australian, um, the Australian side, the Australian selectors have, have tried to sort of um, shoehorn that or sort of like... Sh- shave those edges off and have, have sort of lost the fact that um, what they actually gain from him being un- unconventional and having um, attacking the game in a different way and actually taking sides apart and it's it's sort of interesting that you sort of have um, almost every other country in the world sort of understands what sort of game breaker he is 
and the Australian selectors haven't quite um, understood it. Uh, look, I couldn't agree more. And uh, again, sorry to mention another podcast twice, but I was listening to Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon talk about two things to do with him, which is one, he um, the advanced stats that they do for 2020 cricket, which is you know they're basically able to isolate each ball of 120 balls and uh, show how some runs are more valuable than other runs depending on the context of the game. He's consistently the the highest value uh, batsman in 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 most T20 in most short form cricket. And the second thing that they pointed out is if Smith and Warner do come back into the side, that they see the person at greatest risk of dropping out of the top six is Maxwell, and not because of his performance, but because of that uh, the lack of value that the Australian selectors play pace uh, place in his contribution. No, I, I I agree. It's it's. I can't believe it took me so long to find their podcast because it's sort of, it's almost like they've just taken everything I've ever thought about Glenn Maxwell and put it into podcasts. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And, and for for a country that is so, that is that has prided itself on being ahead of the curve in cricket, they sort of, um, well, our, our record at T20 cricket sort of suggests that we actually don't have any idea um, about what our best side is. Um, yeah, completely. So it's probably not surprising that we then don't quite understand how to, to play the best player um, that we have in that and probably the, in the ODI form as well. We sort of seem to get lost in, um, you know, the, the, the whole approach to T20 cricket um, by the Australian selectors has, has been all over the shop. But anyway, I will like to nominate... Um, one special mention, and I'll give you the opportunity to after I'm done here. My special mention is Aaron Finch's captaincy. Uh, he definitely didn't have the series he would have liked to have had with the bats. Um, one innings in the fourth match, was it? The 90-odd in the, the fourth match? Yeah, yeah. he had the big, the big opening partnership with, with Uzi. Uh, they put on 193. Um, but... He, his captaincy in the, in the shorter forms of the game is is world class. Um, he 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 did a terrific job with the the Renegades in the in the Big Bash, and he's done a, a terrific job all summer um, with the Australian shorter form sides. Um, it I'm not sure whether that's going to be enough for him to be on the plane to the World Cup, but um, it I don't know what um, what actual value you can put on captaincy but um, he without the runs despite not scoring the runs he had a, a massive impact on Australia winning both those series in India. And there is a calmness to his leadership which is really important uh, with particularly with this younger side and I think he, you you have to say that there's and perhaps this is forged by the fire so to speak of the last 12 months but there is a um, feeling in that group uh, uh, a collective support that appears to be um, you know and we're all obviously guessing from the outside um, but they seem to be really really supportive of one another and willing to go the extra mile for one another and I think you have to at least in part attribute that to Finch's captaincy so yeah I'd agree Do you have a special nomination? Special mention? Yes. Well I think you have to talk about the young bats uh, that contributed in this series I think Peter Hanscom uh, I've always been a fan of his game. I think he played some really vital innings. He had a century uh, in one of the in the big chase, um, and he had a couple of other really important contributions through the series. I think he's shown that in modern one-day cricket, where there's through those middle overs, where there's huge amounts of spin being bowled, that he's a critical guy that can play a real role uh, in in a batting lineup in. For Australia in his ability to take on the spinners and succeed that isn't something that's particularly common across Australian batsmen and he's shown um, in, sorry no you keep it up he's also shown um, one um, ability that, that we've sort of bemoaned with some of these batsmen that sort of make the big score and then and then get out having wasted a lot of balls in getting there is he he has a another another gear to sort of go. So he's he has shown um, occasionally at 
at the international level, but definitely at um, domestic level, that that ability to sort of turn um, that big score off, that big score at runner ball into a big score at about 120, 130 um, strike rate. He he has um, he's he's an incredible batsman. Yeah, and I think in addition to him, obviously Ashton Turner's innings. Uh, I think whichever game they chase chase down 359, which still feels strange to say um, that we chased down 359, but we did, and it was largely thanks to Ashton Turner's innings. And in um, but also, but also at the back end of that innings, um, Alex Carey was there with him and did a really good job. Now I haven't been the biggest fan of Alex Carey's performance over the last sort of three to six months. I sort of rate him very highly, and he hasn't really delivered with the bat. Um, on many occasions, but he did a good job in in that game too. So it's really pleasing between that there's this um, group of younger batsmen who are going to continue to put pressure on whoever is in the first eleven, um, and that's really good to see. It was it was really good to see Ashton Turner produce that at international level. He's sort of been doing that in the Big Bash for some time now. It mm. almost seems to be any time I've, I've watched the Perth Scorchers play. Over the last few years, it's it's Ashton Turner scoring fifty off twenty three, or you know sixty off thirty, or you know forty off twenty. Um, it was good to see him sort of take that at, at the international level, and not just not just sort of score, a, you know, a, a, a you know quick fire innings, but to sort of guide the team home. It was a it was a tremendous knock. Um, so hopefully, it's a it's a the first of many. Mm, agreed. Ashton Turner's innings in that match will lead, I think, leads into my my miss of the series or the tour of India, which is which is the DRS. Um, Virat Kohli was a little bit vocal after that match about um, a controversial uh, DRS referral that um, saw Ashton Turner get a reprieve when there would be some people that would think that there was enough evidence to to give Turner out. Um, there was a, another incident with um, that, that that prevented Aaron Finch from scoring uh, a long-awaited century in the fourth match, I think it was, where um, somehow the ball tracking had it pitching on middle stump when it clearly had pitched on leg. Um, it's it's it is somewhat unbelievable that we can have all this technology and still be confused at the decisions that, that come out of the, the decision referral system. We talked about it, I, I bang on about it far too much, but it, it just it just befuddles me that we can have such such confusion, really. Like, it's, it's, mm. it shouldn't be this difficult. It is really interesting because um, you have... Uh, it's a game run by... Um, uh, a range of organisations, if that makes sense. So when you introduce the bunker into the NRL or the bunker in the NBA or the system that's used in the AFL, it's one organisation running the whole thing and how it's policed and they can adjust how it's policed and talk about it. The ICC is, I guess, a much less homogenous organisation and it's harder to necessarily do that and there's obviously different groups within the ICC that have different levels of, of ability to, 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 to influence change, basically. Um, the DRS is really important. I think you'd agree with me that you there's not a world... We can't go back to a pre-DRS world. Um, I think we have to continue to improve it. And the problem is, is I think the issue is less... is mostly not to do with the DRS, it's more to do with our interpretation of it. However, what was striking about these examples, uh, and particularly in the Finch one, was this that was actually mechanical error, so to speak. Um, I think uh, Finch was out, regardless. I actually thought it was pretty plumb. But, but it's not a good sight when the ball, when the system just has it pitching in the completely wrong spot. Yeah, exactly right. How do, you, how do you have any faith in a system that is predictive when it actually gets the gets the actual information that was there to be recorded wrong. Yeah, that's the concerning bit, right? You you raised an interesting point about um, the idea that as bad as we might think the current system is, 
the former system was a thousand times worse. Um, I don't know whether you have been or whether you get some of these things, but I'm on a few different sort of Facebook groups around around the place and, and a lot of them sort of produce or, you know, sort of share videos of, of past past games and past incidents and and one I saw just last night was an Australian batsman in a, a test match against the West Indies. Um, stepped back on his stumps and dislodged the bales, but somehow the, the square leg umpire hadn't seen it and basically just ran in and put the bales back on. That's astounding. <laughs> There's the, but the, I remember that they do them with rugby league all the time. People send them around where they go, you want to get rid of the video ref, and they go back and show you how it used to be and how many dodgy tries were given because we just didn't have the cameras and the capacity to do this. Still, seriously, how did Ted by Morrow I was trying to get given last night? <laughs> hey, I'm he'd not regain, he'd about... regained He'd regained <laughs> possession. I don't care what you say. Like, I knew once he'd taken 47 times to, to look at the replay, it wasn't get given, but that was a try. Anyway. Uh, I, yeah, I have some views on that, but I'll, I'll move on for the sake of brevity. Um, I think it's unequivocal that we've improved decision-making through the use of the DRS. I think it's unequivocal that we're, there's still a long way to go and that we will continue to improve it. I think it's unequivocal that in 10 years' time, that whether it's me or you, someone else is going to be having doing a podcast, whatever exists in 10 years' time, uh, in the place of podcast, Holocaust. complaining about... Oh, that's not all. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, complaining about the DRS of the day, whatever it happens to be. Um, we like to complain about these things. True. That's normal and fine. Um, we are improving our systems in almost every sport. Um, it's it's represented a massive improvement. We're just not good uh, because it's often a... Um, there's not good stats kept on this. We don't keep... Uh, umpire's stats of decisions made correctly um, so we're not able to see a, a sort of a, a quantum of improvement but I think if you did you would find the improvement has been substantial but I think this I think this is kind of and I this is where I think it's actually the advancement has kind of stopped to a degree is because the system is now being utilised almost to support as in like to support the umpire's original decision more so than to to actually get to the correct decision. So um, I think, whilst I think in a situation like, um, it, well, it's it, it dispute of what I, what I said before about Turner, I, I would have probably thought there was enough evidence there to, to give him out. I think, I think if we are going to have doubt, I think we should be giving it to the batsman. The problem that we sort of have at the moment is that the doubt goes to the umpire as opposed to to, which means, of course, that you end up with a with a with inconsistencies in the DRS itself. So, the whole idea of the DRS is to to get consistent decisions. And if you then are supporting an umpire giving inconsistent decisions, you're just actually further perpetuating his inconsistent decisions. I'm not. I'm looking at you, Elendar. No, <laughs> this is this is ultimately the the big. Um, uh, philosophical debate at the heart of all of these systems across across cricket but also in all your other sports is does it exist to uh, assess a decision uh, objectively or is it used to ensure that no howler has been made um, you know uh, I uh, you could convince me either way of that um, and should there be you know in the sense of should there be doubt given or not um, to, to the or support for the umpire's decision. Um, you can convince me either way of that. I think, though, that is something that we're, that we're going to have to have uh, properly hash out if people are ever going to be happy with this system. Yeah, but I think you made a, a, a good point. I don't think we're ever going to be happy with it. No. <laughs> it's the nature of the beast. When was the last time that you heard everyone go, finally, we finally supported, uh, we finally fixed refereeing slash umpiring, you know? It's all sorted. The game's perfect. Yeah, that's no. right. What was your miss? So 
So my miss uh, is a pretty obvious one, and it was Aaron Finch um, in his batting performance. As you noted, his captaincy was very good. This is really interesting to me going forward because of Usman Khawaja's performance at, as an opener. As I said earlier, uh, I think he's a, a pure opener in one-day cricket. Um, with Warner coming back, I, the pressure is on Finch in Pakistan to keep his spot because, to me, as we were saying, talking about how Warner and Smith fit back into a side, right now, if you were picking an 11, potentially the way you would go would be Warner, Kawaja, Smith. Um, and there'd be no space for Aaron Finch in that side. Now, that's not a good position to be in uh, if you're dropping your captain, what, three months, two and a half months out from the first game of the World Cup. Um, I really hope he scores some runs in, against Pakistan. I don't know um, what that, that top three looks like at the end of that Pakistan series um, but for purely for stability's sake I hope he gets some runs and holds his spot it's not an unusual position for a Victorian captain of Australia to be dropped from the side altogether <laughs> uh, there's just been so many Victorian captains though that we just forget <laughs> like, you know Bill Laurie Bill Laurie would have something to say about it Cameron White yes. Cameron White being dropped from the, the T20 side to be, as, yeah. as captain to be replaced by a bloke that had an equally bad Big Bash competition but that's fine these things happen so Australia take on Pakistan in a five game one day series um, I think it's fair to say that um, they will have no excuses about not being um, prepared for the 50 over game by the time the World Cup comes around um, what do you think the chances are in, in the UAE Dan? I think it's going to be really interesting. I think the thing for me that is most exciting is that there'll be cricket in, UA, in the UAE um, that people might turn up to. It always just blows my mind that you have these test matches there played in front of less people than you'd get at a Shield game here. Um, I presume that's largely because why would you go outside in the middle of the day in the UAE? Um, uh, so I'm hoping there's more people at the games as to whether or not Australia can win. If you'd asked me, you know, 10 days ago, I would have said no. Um, no hope in hell. Uh, so I guess now I'm going to say yes, resounding 5-0 victory. Well, look, it's the only safe bet to make, isn't it? <laughs> if I can, uh, one thing that I think was really cool about this series, I think it um, uh, ensconced the idea that Australia is better off when they play two spinners, uh, play Zampa and Lyon together. I think Zampa... Uh, embedded himself in, in that 11 as the first choice short form spinner I think that's great I think he did a really good job got Coley a couple of times and otherwise looked pretty good outside of I think it was the first match when his first four overs were just the trashest he's bowled in about three years um, so I think that's a really positive sign going forward I think you've also got to, you've got to accept that a little bit with, with some a spinner like him that, that tries to turn it that occasionally he's going to bowl um, be a hot mess so Occasionally, he's going to be a hot mess, and he's going to take the good with the bad. And he actually is. We've we've talked about this on this podcast a few times now. That he actually, I would have thought he's 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 um, done enough to to warrant his position as the the number one spinner in the short form side. Uh, a historic day for Afghanistan cricket. Um, they've just defeated Ireland by seven wickets. Their first ever Test match victory. Um, oh, interesting fantastic. to see Rashid Khan took five wickets I believe yeah five for 82 of 34 overs um, it's been a obviously playing Ireland so uh, the two the two newbies in in test cricket um, taking each other on but um, Afghanistan got the, the chocolates there oh good on them that's fantastic and look um, I think it's great that Ireland and Afghanistan are test nations now and I hope Australia gets uh is Australia's test scheduling is driven a little bit more by long-term ideas of building the game rather than the short-term uh, approach that has driven its desire to not play Bangladesh. I was going to say, given that we, we, we didn't have enough money to, to bring Bangladesh out of here, I think it'd be yeah. 30 or 40 years before Ireland or Afghanistan play here. Which is a shame. I Look... It's still warm enough to be playing Test Cricket, and what would be better than a Test Cricket Sunday of St. Patrick's Day? But um, what is what is exciting is that Ireland are playing England in a Test match at Lord's, so 
Um, there are some countries around the world that are doing their their bit. Um, so that that'll be a, a big match. So hopefully you're right. I think um, the fact that we we especially given the what Bangladesh is are starting to do and the fact that, that we actually couldn't even beat them in the last series we played them, um, it was it was a disgrace that we didn't didn't have that series. Yep. Um, but yeah, Afghanistan um, only behind Australia. Australia won their first ever Test match. Afghanistan won their second. So good there on there. There you go. So. 10 weeks of the World Cup. Um, Australia's got about 75 more one days before then. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us, Dan. Um, what, well, Rugby League's back, so I'm sure the Sportress, www.sportress.wordpress.com is all over that. Um, what will people find on there if they, if they jump on there now? You can go see my review of the uh, barnstorming Raiders victory from from Sunday evening, um, it was it was a very heartening victory as a as a, a Raiders fan to see the side show a bit of distance, defensive starch um, and some other really critical positional performances. Um, having said that, the Titans were without their starting halfback Ash Taylor, who's the one point two million dollar man, as well as the replacement for him. Sorry, the, his his partner in the halves. Um, uh, Name escapes me, Tyrone Roberts, who injured in his Achilles uh, about 15 minutes into the game. So, you know, potentially not a lot to take away from that, but a big game coming up on Friday against the Melbourne Storm. Well, that'll be that'll be a test. But, yeah, um, that's right. But look, you know, the, what everyone really cares about is the fact that Parramatta, 1-0, Battle of the West. I did, I did watch that game, Boz. I've never seen Penrith play so poorly. Um, it was, it was incredible. Um, the bus was didn't get out of first gear. Are we still using the bus? Well, I don't know whether he's brought the bus from Concord or not, but um, yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get away from that. But um, yeah, no. it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting start to the NRL. We've got AFL starting um, next weekend, or should we say this weekend? It's it's all it's all sneaking up, so it's you know six days five days till St Kilda's first victory for the year it's um it's all <laughs> who are they all... playing in the first round Gold Coast oh, alright yeah I would so, hit them so we're either going to win or I'm going to be very devastated <laughs> that's so, right <laughs> high stakes first game it is for both sides so they'll both be it'll be a, a it'll be a long wait for either of them to sort of get their second chance so we'll yeah, wait and see exactly awesome so thanks for joining us. Um, we will no doubt be talking cricket a little bit more before the before the first ball is bowled in the World Cup. Um, thanks, Dan, and um, thanks everybody for listening. Um, you can read a little bit more about our thoughts on cricket and AFL at www.pinchhittersoz.com.au. Like us or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Um, until next time, thanks for joining us.